It's been a while since we have had our regular series in Acts. We've had Resurrection Sunday. We've had last Sunday with um, Brian speaking, and now we come back to our series. Today we'll be reading from Acts 24. So would you turn there in your Bibles, Acts chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand and they'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. We'll be reading from the ESV, so if you'd like to read in that same version, the ushers have that Bible available. Just raise your hand. They'll bring that to you. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. I'd ask you to listen attentively as I read Acts chapter 24, 1 through 27. If you remember, in the last chapter, in chapter 23, Paul was rescued from the mob. He is rescued by... Um, Claudius Lysias, his name is. Uh, he was escorted all the way to Caesarea so that he could stand trial there. He was escorted by soldiers for his own protection because the mob had a plot to kill him uh, along the way if they had a chance. Paul was rescued by his own nephew who gave the message that the mob was waiting and wait for him and that message came to Claudius Lysias, and he was escorted to Caesarea about 65 miles from Jerusalem. And now he stands waiting for his trial in Caesarea before the, Felix, before the governor, uh, Felix. So we catch up now at chapter 24. <clears throat> and after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus, they laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the, whole, throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is, no more, it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues, or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, 
believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and, and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would, would be, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So you read from God's word, Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 27. If you would please remain standing with me, we'll have a word of prayer. After prayer, we'll have a special song from our choir and then the preaching of God's word today. Bow your heads with me in a, world, in a moment of prayer. We thank you, Father, for this day, first day of May. We thank you for waking us up this morning. We thank you for bringing us through this week, allowing us to meet again. We are thankful for those who are here with us today that weren't here last week, some because of sickness or perhaps vacation or other things. We are thankful for each one here today. We ask that you would bless, you would um, open our hearts to receive your word today. Be with me as, a, as I speak your word, that it might be presented in a clear way, that your Holy Spirit might use your word to, to bear down on our hearts, to speak to our hearts, to cause us to reflect on your purpose for us, cause us to be encouraged that you are in control of all things, cause us to, to know and to trust that you have a purpose for us in this life. And even though we may go through some challenges, our life is not in vain. Our struggles are not in vain. But you have a purpose in it all. 
Speak to the hearts of believers today, Lord, to encourage their hearts. Speak to the hearts of those who don't know Christ to challenge and to convict them to turn to Christ. May we give attention to your Holy Spirit as he speaks through your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You know, you see the choir and you, you don't see Mickey and you know something is, is missing. <laughs> it's so used to seeing her and so thankful for her, but it's so good to see our choir to, to just go on and, and persevere and, and do such a fine job, even though uh, didn't have their, their leader here this morning. But we'll be praying for her and, and for her recovery, just like last week we were without a Chantel and uh, her and Andy. Actually, their whole family was not feeling well and then got better, went on vacation, and are back with us. So praise God for that. <clears throat> Acts chapter 24, we continue in our series here in Acts. And you may wonder why such a story is part of God's Word and why God is giving us the detail that he gives us in Acts. We're in that stage where we're following Paul's life and we're seeing it played out, what God had told uh, Paul, what Jesus, in fact, had told Paul he would face when, when Jesus met him on that, that, that road to Damascus. And he saved him on that same road. And he says, you are going to be a witness to me, to, to rulers, to kings, um, and, and, and you're going to be a testimony of me. Jesus himself told Paul that, and we see that being played out right now, that Paul has been called to be um, a witness, and in fact, in some strange circumstances. If you remember, Paul had done his, another missionary journey. He was, uh, had traveled back to Jerusalem. In that missionary journey, he had gathered a collection of funds to help the believers in Jerusalem who were going through a famine, who were going through suffering and hardships. He had collected these funds of bringing them back to Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem says, Paul, you know, there's a lot of people saying a lot of wicked and evil things about you, but we want you to make your testimony clear by... Um, by coming to the temple and performing an act of purification there in the temple. While Paul was doing that, he was attacked. He was attacked by Jews who followed him from those cities that he had visited, had come back to Jerusalem, and they accused him of several things. None of them were true, but they accused him of these things. They attacked him in the temple, dragged him out of the temple, began beating him, would have killed him, except the commander in Jerusalem stopped him. He saw all this rioting going on. He didn't know what, what the, was the cause of it, and so he, he stopped it. Uh, he listened shortly, briefly to, to Paul uh, as he spoke. He was hoping to hear what was really the cause of all of this. And Paul began to speak to the crowd that had tried to kill him. And as, as, as soon as Paul uh, mentioned uh, his testimony and how Jesus had called him also to be a witness to the Gentiles, as soon as he said that word Gentile, they just went crazy again. Uh, and so the commander had to take custody of Paul, uh, uh, arrest him for his own protection, carry him out to the barracks, 
and, and, and that's uh, chapter 22. And then chapter 23, um, Paul was sent to trial, to the Jewish trial, before the council, the Sanhedrin. And it's at that council that Paul said, you know what? The only thing I'm guilty of is believing in the resurrection. Uh, and, and when he said that statement, there was a division on the council. The Sadducees were against him. The Pharisees supported him because they believed in resurrection, even though they didn't believe in Jesus. They believed in the resurrection. And so uh, with that contention going on, the commander, Lysias, again, had to say, hey, hey, let's take Paul back into custody because they're going to tear him apart. Um, and he wrote a letter on Paul's sake. He sent Paul to Caesarea um, with a letter from him to the governor, Felix, to explain what this case was about. Before Paul was sent to Caesarea, there was a group of Jews who had made a plot that they would not eat or drink until they had killed Paul. And they wanted the council to summon Paul to get, less, to, to get the commander to bring Paul again before them. And when Paul would be in transport, they were going to kill him. When the commander heard word of this, he decided now he would send instead, send Paul to Caesarea. And so that's chapter 23. He sent Paul to Caesarea under guard, guarded soldiers. Paul has arrived in Caesarea, and now we are at the beginning of chapter 24. Amen. You're all with me now, right? You got all that, right? If I give you a test on that, and you, you get it perfect, right? All right. I won't give you a test, but I do want you to be familiar with that. That's why I shared it with you. So in chapter 4, Paul is going to appear before the governor, Felix. This is the Roman authority who has its headquarters in Caesarea, which is about 65 miles uh, um, west and northwest of Jerusalem. So Paul has arrived there, and it says, After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. So what they have done is they are bringing their case to Caesarea before Governor Felix. And this is the crowd that is following Paul, and they are going to make their case um, before Felix. Notice the group here. There's Ananias the high priest. There are some elders, and they have a spokesman. In other words, that's their... That's their uh, lawyer who's going to make the case against Paul. It tells us something, that they were serious about killing Paul. They tried to do it illegally, and now they'll try and do it legally. So they try to make their case before the governor that Paul has done things worthy of death. And they are intent on doing this so much so that the high priest comes. That's a pretty high crowd. If you bring the high priest all the way 65 miles and in five days he comes there. In other words, he put everything down so he could take care of this business because this business is important to him. They hire a lawyer who is skilled in, in Roman law so that they can make their case against Paul. Just, just a side note. Satan comes prepared. All right? Satan comes prepared. 
That's why we ought to be ready. That's why we ought to be prepared. That's just a side note. And we can see the introduction of this trial. I want to, to read. It says, uh, verse 2, when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying. So this is in a courtroom. And you can imagine this is kind of a formal introductory statement by the uh, uh, lawyer, by the prosecuting attorney, if you would. Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere. And you notice by my tone of voice, I'm being sarcastic here, because that's the tone of this scripture. The Jews, headed by Tertullus and the elders and the chief priests, hate the Roman government, do not respect it, and don't honor it at all. But listen to his words. Since through you we enjoy much peace. That wasn't really true. They didn't enjoy much peace at all. Remember when, when Paul was uh, attacked by the crowd and, and uh, um, Claudius Lysias came to, to rescue Paul? He thought Paul was, was uh, an assassin from Egypt. He thought that because nonsense like that was going on in Jerusalem all the time. So it wasn't a fact that they enjoyed peace because of Felix. In fact, they hated Felix. But this is the nonsense, the formality, and the lies that go on. Reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere. We accept this with all gratitude. Lie, lie, lie. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. So he starts with false flattery. In our, belief, in, in our speech as believers, we can be honest and truthful and even respectful without false flattery. You notice what Paul has to say, and you'll see him speak in such a way. You also notice Jesus in his own trial. Very little words that he actually said. The Bible says he came as a sheep to the slaughter. He opened not his mouth. He did not plead and butter up to the officials. He spoke truthfully when he did speak. Quite the opposite of this crowd. Then they make their attack or they make their case on Paul. Here's what they said. Verse 5. We found this man to be a plague. Well, if you were in a court, that would need to be clarified. That's just name calling. It's not a charge. But that's what he says. We found this man to be a plague. One who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. Okay, bit of an exaggeration when he says all the Jews throughout all the world. But that's actually a testimony to Paul's life. Paul had visited 
and traveled extensively and shared the gospel. He had spent his effort, his, he had spent much of his time going throughout the Roman Empire to share the gospel, but it's spoken of here as stirring up riots. Now, it's true, Paul was involved in some riots. He was the victim of the riot, not the one who stirred it up. And by the way, so should we in our action be harmless as doves. Paul was a part of riots because when he spoke the truth of God's word, people wanted to kill him. Not because he spoke in a way that was that incited uh, people uh, to anger in his own speech. He simply spoke the gospel. But it did stir up because of the wickedness of people's hearts. By the way, this, he's at court now because he simply went into the temple. He'll give his, his, his case. He simply went into the temple to honor the Lord, and they attacked him there. He'll make that case as he goes on. One who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. That's the world's way or their way of addressing Paul and him worshiping Jesus. They call him a ringleader of a sect. Now, a sect is, is some offshoot of Judaism that's not legitimate. That's, that's, that's the idea of a sect. A sect of any religion is taking the main religion and taking an offshoot uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, um, cast-offs or, or people who have an extreme kind of a view that don't represent the mass of the religion. That's how they're viewing uh, uh, Paul. But that's all right. Because he's going to clarify that for himself. That's their point of view. He's a sect of the Nazarenes, called Nazarenes because that's where Jesus was from. Jesus of Nazareth. So Paul is a follower of Jesus. He's part of this. He's the ringleader of this group of bandits. Another charge, verse 6. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. Correctly stated, Paul was in the temple worshiping and y'all attacked him without any provocation at all. But we'll get to that. We seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. Okay, in other words, this is what we accuse him and we rest our case. That, that's pretty much what they're saying. You can talk to him and find out. It's their job to present a case, a factual case, to give the evidence of it, and they haven't given anything but talk. Verse 9, the Jews also joined in the charge. <laughs> Remember our, our, our uh, Resurrection Sunday play with our children? Remember the mob that followed Jesus on the cross? And all they could say is, crucify him, crucify him. That's pretty much what this, this group is. And it's, they also join in the church. Yeah, yeah, we was there, we was there. Yeah, that's right, that's right. What's right? What happened? What are the charges? Don't think that Felix is not getting any of this. 
verse 10. When the governor had nodded to, to him to speak, Paul replied. In other words, he gave the, the Jews and their representation an opportunity to speak, and they stated their case. They said what they needed to say. They said they would be brief, and they were brief. Um, and now Paul has a chance to give his defense. Paul doesn't start with false flattery. In verse 10, he says, knowing that for many years you've been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. He's simply saying, you've been a judge, and I trust you'll be able, with your experience, the time that you've been around, to see through this case and hear my case. So he's respectful, but not with false flattery. He goes right on to the to the uh, facts of the case. You can verify, I'm in verse 11 now, that not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. He's saying, it hasn't been that long ago. Less than two weeks ago is when this incident happened. I came into Jerusalem, and he says, what was his purpose? I went up to worship. They did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Paul says, yes, I did. I came into Jerusalem. I came to worship. No one can present any evidence that I stirred up any crowd anywhere. Not in any synagogue around here, not in, not in the temple itself, and not in the city itself. And then he says, what I'm guilty of is this. First, he's, verse 13, neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. He said, they, they're saying things, but they have no evidence of it at all. The governor can see that. Trust, Paul trusts him to see that. He says, here is what I've done. Verse 14, this I confess, that according to the way which they call a sect, we use, we've talked about that term, the way, before. That's what others use to describe those who follow Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They, these followers of Jesus were one who went in that way. I want to ask you, are you part of those who walk in the way? Who walk after Jesus? Who trust what Jesus did? Who live and obey what Jesus said? What did Jesus do? He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay for the sins of those who would follow, trust, and believe him. Paul says, that's me. I'm a part of that way. They call me a sect, but this is who we are. And he says, I worship the God of our fathers. This is what I'm accused of. This is what I'm guilty of. I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid by the, down by the law and written in the prophets. You know what Paul is saying there? He's a witness not just to Governor Phoenix, but also to the Jews there. I have a wholesome respect for our heritage and, 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 and the law. He's been accused of 
of disobeying the law, going against the law, teaching others to go against the law. And he's been accused of profaning the temple. He says, I've done neither. I worship God. I obey the law and I respect this heritage that we have. And he gets down to the point of contention, verse 15, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. I, I like Paul, I think this first time Paul said it in this way: the resurrection of the just and the unjust. See, he's he's simply teaching what God's word has presented and what we know as the gospel. There will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Let no one tell you anything besides that. You know, people today are talking about you dying, you're going to come back as a tree, you're going to come back as a dog, you're going to come back as a frog, you're going to come back as something. Look, there's going to be a resurrection. And others say, well, you die and you just, you're annihilated. You cease to be, to exist. Like, uh, uh, you know, we, on a summer day when I was a kid, we used to just step on ants and say, you know, that one's gone. People think that, that human life is like that today. You just shoot somebody and they die and they aren't no more and they just cease to exist. The Bible says, no, it doesn't happen that way. We will live for eternity. You and I will live for eternity. But Paul says there's going to be a resurrection for the just and the unjust. The Bible de defines what it means to be just and to be unjust. We use the biblical term of justified. Justified means we are declared righteous before God. It means when we come before the high court of heaven, we will be declared either righteous or unrighteous. Being justified means that I'm declared righteous, not because I am righteous. Now get this. Not because God sees some righteousness of my own. Paul speaks about that in Romans chapter 3. He says, it's not because of my own righteousness that I'm able to stand before God. But because of when I trust in Christ, it's the righteousness of Christ that has been put to my account. And my sin has been transferred off of my account and put on Jesus. That's what the Bible says happens in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him, God the Father, made Jesus the Son to be sin for us. Now, who's the us? Is those who trust in Jesus. He made, God made Jesus to be sin for me so that I might gain the righteousness of him. I don't have my own righteousness, and neither do you. But those who trust in Jesus are given Jesus' righteousness. But Paul was aware of this, this resurrection of the just and the unjust. He looked forward to that. And he said this in the next verse, I always take pains to have a clear conscience to toward both God and man. And he Give the example of this. He says, um, after several years, I came to bring, to my bring alms to my nation to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, what he's saying is, some folks from where I had my missionary journey at, 
followed, they hated me there. They followed me all the way back to Jerusalem. And when they saw me in the temple, they attacked me. He says, they ought to be here before you to make any accusation if they have anything against me, but I don't see them here. Paul's in court. He says, we have no testimony, no eyewitnesses of anything that I've been charged of. If, if they wanted to, they should have brought them, but they're not present in court. Verse 19, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Or let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Paul had been examined. They didn't find any wrongdoing. Except for this, verse 20, 21. Other than this one thing, that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you this day. That's the only thing that they could get Paul on. And they couldn't try him on that because the council was split even on that. You remember the Pharisees agreed with Paul's statements and the Sadducees didn't. Now, it's interesting. The next verse. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. What does it mean having a rather accurate uh, um, knowledge of the way. Later on, we'll see that, well, let's just skip down to verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. So Felix, a Roman authority, was married to a Jewish woman, and that's how he knew about Jewish culture and customs. He had a good knowledge of what, what he, he had a good knowledge of what they believed and what was acceptable practice. So he was a good one for Paul to come before. He wasn't confused by all that was presented to him. He knew a little bit about what was going on. Besides this, if you remember, when uh, Claudius Lysias the tribune sent Paul to him. He also sent along a letter saying exactly what had happened. But it says this. He put the case off. And he says, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. In my opinion, he didn't have to do that. He didn't need to do that. He already had authority, a direct letter from Lysias, and he should have decided a case on the facts of the case that he had before him. Verse 23, then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept, that is Paul, Paul should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. I want to forward a little bit to the end of the chapter. Look at the last verse, verse 27. Verse 27 says this. When two years had elapsed. Um, that's just five words, right? But it's a long five words. And that's the message here today. Two years had elapsed. 
The governor had decided he wouldn't decide this case, even though he had all the facts. And in two years, he still didn't have any more facts than he had at first. And he still had not decided this case. Instead, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. He left Paul in prison. Paul had been there for two years. Here's the positive of it. Felix gave him the freedom to entertain and to interact with friends so that Paul could continue sharing the gospel, writing letters, encouraging believers around there. But he was still constrained. He couldn't leave the prison. Sometimes we don't understand why God has placed us where he's placed us. You can think within your own heart if you've ever been in that kind of situation, or perhaps you're right there right now. And you are somewhere in those two years. And you're thinking, God, I, I've been trying to obey your will. But here I am in an unfair trial, feeded, treated unfairly. And I'm praying to you that you let me out, but I haven't got release yet. Maybe you're in some situation that is, isn't even due to your own doing. Maybe you're there where Paul was. We can grow discouraged if we're in that situation. Maybe you've prayed for a certain result from the Lord. And you haven't gotten it yet. And you don't know if you will get it. We can grow weary in those circumstances. And we don't understand God's timing too Years is a long time to sit in jail for doing nothing wrong. But that's where Paul is. I want to tell you this, that God often does things in ways that we don't understand, and yet he's still in control. He is still good. He is still gracious. He is still accomplishing his purpose. Now, I went to seminary to try to understand as much as I could, and I still don't understand all the ways of God. And Paul didn't either, and neither would you. But we're not called to understand it all. We're, understand, we're called to live faithfully where God has placed us. Paul, during this time, faithfully served the Lord. He was an encouragement to believers that he could meet with. He would write words of encouragement, and he could pray. I'm sure he must have been burdened that he couldn't leave and travel wherever he wanted to to get out with the gospel. Can you think of anybody else 
in Bible history that would have been straddled in this type of way? I can think of Paul, excuse me, I can think of John the Baptist who was arrested for some of the same thing. He was arrested because he was brought before kings and he spoke, thus saith the Lord. And that king was fascinated with what he said but didn't like it. And he bent to the pressures around him to keep that righteous man there and eventually to take his life. This man bent to the pressures around him to keep a righteous man in custody. And Paul there is left in prison. But I want to give you another person to look at in this scripture. It says in verse 22, Felix says, I'll decide this case later. Right? And he kept Paul there in prison, but he gave him some liberties. And then it says in verse 24, After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. I want you to see something. Paul, though in prison, unjustly kept in prison, what does he do? He reasons with Felix about what? righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. First of all, it says that he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, he was a clear testimony to Felix. Wherever God has placed you, recognize he wants you to be a testimony for him. That's the whole message of Acts. Jesus says to his apostles, his disciples, I want you to be witnesses of me. Will you be a witness, a faithful witness where God places you? Do you know you have some people in your life that will never come to this church perhaps or never hear me speak a sermon, but they will hear you speak. They will listen to you because you work with them, because you live with them, you live amongst them. Be faithful to speak God's word. I think it's equally as important as my preparation and giving the gospel out on this pulpit is your taking it, digesting it, and giving it out in the particular situation, circumstances that God is placing you. Because the word is multiplied when you go out. That's what God wants you to do. It says he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and coming judgment. That, that's, that word reason, it, it, it hits me a certain way. It says, look, sit, here, here's what reasoning does. If this, then this. That's what reasoning does. It, it helps you to see the outcome and the consequences of truth. If this be true, then this must be 
true as well or will be a sure consequence. And what did he reason that comes out of the gospel? He reasoned with him about righteousness. In other words, because Christ rose from the dead, because he paid for sin for those who trust in him, he has transformed the lives of those who trust in him. Basic and simple, he says, when we trust in Christ, we will be, we'll, our lives will be changed. We will live righteously before God and before each other. There are consequences to the gospel. There's an outcome or fruit of the gospel. One of them is righteousness. Self-control is another. People will not believe you or me if we speak the gospel and it is not shown in our own lives in self-control. Now, most hear that and say, well, then I need to shut up. I won't say much anymore. But you got the wrong message. You need to live the truth is what you need to do. You need to turn from that which is, 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 is causing you to con be conflicted in your life and live in a, in, in a life that's pleasing to God so that you can speak the truth and have it coincide with how you live. Self-control and coming judgment. Since the gospel is true, we are to live righteously. You see, we, we are, there's a way that we ought to live because there is a coming judgment. Now, I don't say that out of fear. I, I say to compel you, look, if you know you're saved, don't you realize everybody who hears you is coming to a judgment? They need to get a clear message of the gospel from you so that they can be saved. You're not just risking, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not that serious of a Christian. It, it doesn't matter that much. It does matter. Everybody listening to you that's on their way to hell has a confused message coming from you. And God's going to hold you accountable for that. You say, well, it ain't me that God to speak. I'll just bring them to church and they can hear pastor. More people hear you. When you multiply all the you's here today, more people hear you than will ever hear just me on a Sunday. So there's a message that comes from you. When Paul talked to Felix about this, it says Felix was alarmed. Felix was alarmed. Look at his response. He said, go away for the present. Go away for now. I'll hear you later is what he said. Go away for now. I'll hear you later. There's some in the building in the church here today who haven't yet responded positively to the gospel. And you've continually said... Later, later. You think you have rejected because you say go away for now. I'll come and hear more of this later. Do you realize that Felix did that and did that for two years? And there's no evidence that he ever turned to Christ. That would have been a great testimony and a great uh, 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 thing to say uh, if he had turned to Christ. But there's no evidence of that. 
He did what so many people do today, right in church today. They say, go away for now. In other words, I got plenty of time to decide that I will choose to work. I will choose to, to live for Christ later. Later. Today, our young people are thinking, I'm young. I, I got plenty of time to turn to Christ. Hey, I'm only 15. I'm only 16. I'm only 13. I'm only 12. I got plenty of time to turn to Christ. You're not guaranteed any of that time. And I want to tell you something. You got a problem because you have heard the gospel. You see, there may be some of your friends who haven't been to church. It may be some people you know at school who haven't heard the gospel the way you've heard it. But you've heard it. I know you've heard it. And I'm a witness that you've heard it because God holds me accountable for that. And when you say, ah, later on I'll get serious about it, you are not guaranteed that you're going to have another later on. This man Felix said, you know, God had sent, th think about this. I asked you the question, why was Paul in jail for two years for something he hadn't done? God in his graciousness was sending a messenger to Felix firsthand so he could talk to him, he could reason with him, he could share, he could ask questions, he could get anything he needed to learn about the way from the source, Paul himself. God has set up an appointment with, for Felix with this one Paul, none other than Paul himself. And Felix put it off. He basically said, I know what you're saying is right, but I'll do it later. I got plenty of time. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that he had a heart attack and died. It doesn't tell us that he, his chariot ran off the road or a drunk driver hit him and, 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 and killed him. It doesn't tell us any of that. It just, it's just that he got reappointed. He got appointed somewhere else. And so that message was no longer available to him with the power it had been. You have no idea of the power of God's word that you're hearing right now and the opportunity you have to respond right now. And you put it off in your mind and you think you just put it off a little bit. Two whole years later, he is totally out of the question, out, out of the picture. Bible says now is the day of salvation. There's two people in this text today that I want you to look at, and I've mentioned both of them. Felix is one. He's a person who hasn't received the gospel but thinks he's got plenty of time to do it. And Paul is the Christian who doesn't know exactly why he's stuck in that jail in Caesarea for two years. But God has blended both of these people together. And God has given a message of salvation from Paul and an opportunity for Felix to receive that message. And it seems like Felix is just saying, later, later. If you're a believer like Paul, I want you to know that God puts you in a situation sometimes to be a witness for him when you don't always see the results. But be faithful.
be faithful. Be faithful. I don't know who else in, in Felix's life would have heard this gospel. I don't know who else would have been impacted by it. But I know this, Paul was faithful. And that's, that's what he had to give account for. We want to be faithful in giving God's word. And then for Felix himself, we don't know if he ever had another opportunity to hear the gospel this way. My appeal to you today is turn to Christ today. A couple weeks ago, I preached a message and someone came to me and said, you know, I was kind of waiting for you to do an altar call for people to go up forward. And I said to that person, I don't do altar calls. Because when they're done every week, every Sunday, they just become a formality. But I want to tell you this. There's nothing stopping you right now from right there in your seat saying, Lord, thank you for giving me the gospel. Thank you for opening my eyes. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I want to tell you something. When you've done that, you need to share that with someone. You need to, you need to, you need to, to, to do that and then place yourself in accountability with God's people here at Sweet Communion. It's easy to do. That's why we share after, ser after service. You have time to talk. You can come up to anybody that you know and say, hey, I want to let somebody know so that they can pray for me. And I want to tell them I've trusted in Christ today. I pray each and every time that I preach that God will impact our hearts and draw people to Christ. And you have that opportunity right as you hear my voice. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that you'd encourage believers who are in places that they don't understand or for reasons that they don't understand. Encourage them to be faithful, Lord. You are calling the shots. You are controlling every situation. It's not random the things that happen to us. So I pray that you give hope and encouragement to believers to be faithful in their testimony, regardless of the results they see, trusting that you will use that, that nothing of your word is ever in vain, but you have a purpose for it all. So we pray, Lord, that we will act faithfully. And then I pray for that one here today that has been putting off time and again and again, trusting in Christ. And I pray today might be that day that they actually trust Christ and let someone else know that they're trusting in Christ. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Before we close today, we have communion table. I'm going to ask our leadership team if they will come forward.